Thoughts and Answers begins right now. How can we effectively share Christ with an atheist who does not believe in God? How do we share Christ with a relativist who does not believe in absolute truth? Or how can we make headway with a pluralist who believes all religions are the same? Sharing the gospel in our post-Christian culture requires a method and skills that are relevant to the challenges we face. You're tuned to Evidence and Answers radio broadcast with our host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. The last time we were together, Pat began an interview with President of Stand to Reason, Greg Kokel. In our broadcast today, they will discuss insights and methods to effectively engage our culture for Christ. If you've missed any part of this message, log on at evidenceandanswers.org. There you will find this message entitled Street Smarts and hundreds more podcasts that you may download or listen online. Now let's get right to part two. Yeah, now you say there are two parts to your training here, the content and then making your case with non-believers. Right. Tell us about that. Okay, let me just backtrack just a little bit to the basic game plan. The basic game plan in the tactics book, which I review in Street Smarts, is ba is three steps of engagement. Um, you have this in your mind about how to proceed. One of the reasons Christians don't go forward is because they don't have a plan. So I give them a plan. And the first step is very, very easy. All you want to do is gather information. You want to get the lay of the land. You get to talking to somebody about spiritual things. So you need more intel. And you use a question, some form of the question, what do you mean by that? So somebody says, well, everything's relative. What do you mean by relative? Now, I wrote a book on relativism. You mentioned relativism feet for firmly planted in midair. I know what relativism is, but I don't know that they know what it is. And the fact is, Pat, I'm sure you're, you've experienced this. People will raise objections that they've heard other people raise that stonewall Christians, but they never thought about it themselves. Oh, the Bible's been changed. What do you mean? How's it been changed? Oh, okay. So that's a simple question. Now it throws the ball right back into their court and they have to explain more thoroughly how the Bible's, what they mean, how they think it's been changed, whatever. Okay, good. The more I ask something like that, I'm getting more information. That's great for me. People might think, why would I, if a person objecting to my view, why would I want to ask them to explain their objections to me more? You know, it's like, I'm inviting them to come after me. I said, exactly right. You want more information. The more information you get, the clearer of an understanding you'll have of their view, which is good. And the easier it's going to be to see the flaws. But it's also a clearer understanding they're going to have of their own view. All right. So that's the first step. The first step is to gather information by asking the question, what do you mean by that? And that tells you what they believe, essentially. Now you want to know why they believe it. Another question. And so you ask, okay, how did you come to that conclusion? I call that reversing the burden of proof, but it's just letting them talk some more about the reasons for their own view. Now, what's surprising for a lot of people, if they start doing this, when they start doing this, they're going to find out when they ask people what they believe, ask for clarity, and why they believe it, they're going to get dead air, you know, crickets. Hmm. I call it the Simon and Garfunkel moment, you know, like sounds of silence kind of thing, you know, because they haven't thought about their view. All right. Now, the Christian in this point is a very safe situation. They're in the shallow end of the pool. There's no risk to them at all. All they've been doing is asking for clarification of the other person's view. Okay. Those are the first two steps. And a lot of times, just those two steps 
are going to make a big difference in getting the other person to think and putting a stone in their shoe, okay? The third step is more aggressive, but it has a speed bump, okay? The third step is simply you're using questions, again, always using questions, to make a point. And in particular, for street smarts, the point we're trying to make is that their view or their challenge to Christianity is flawed in some way. We want them to see how this is flawed, okay? The speed bump is, well, first of all, we have to know how their view is flawed. So if an atheist makes a challenge against belief in God, then, okay, man, what's wrong with the atheist view? If you don't know that, you can't use a question to show the flaw. Mm -hmm. So that's one speed bump. The second speed bump is usually the flaw, in order to show the flaw, you have a couple steps in mind. So you have to know the steps to explain the flaw. Right. Third thing is you need some questions to introduce the stepping stone process to get to the conclusion. Okay. So let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Some atheist might say, and I've had this happen to me, prove to me that God exists. Go ahead. There's no proof. Prove to me he exists. Well, the problem there is with the word proof, and you've got to ask them what they what do they mean by proof? And because uh, if you don't clarify that, you're never going to be able to tell them enough. You could be the most brilliant Christian philosopher of the planet, and no matter what you say to them, they're going to say, that's not proof, right? So uh, I brought that up with the individual. He said, okay, just give me a good reason. Okay, I can do that. Do you mind if I ask you a few questions? And he said, no, go ahead. I said, first question, do you think that things exist? Yeah, <laughs> of course. Okay, so do I. We both agree on that. Here's the second question. The things that now exist, whatever they are, have they always existed or did they come into existence sometime in the past? Now, all I'm asking about is whether the universe is eternal or whether it had a be beginning, say yeah. something like a Big Bang. Now, right. look at everybody. Christ some Christians don't like Big Bang. Don't worry about that. Everybody believes that the universe had a beginning. Christians believe that, and so do non-Christians. That's all we have to trade with. Use their language if you like or whatever. Doesn't matter. Uh, okay, so yeah, I agree that it hasn't always existed too. So we both agree on the first two things based on the questions I've asked him. Okay, here's the third question I say, and now this is the real important one. What caused everything to come into existence? And by the way, I mentioned there are only two options, something or no thing, <laughs> mm -hmm. something or no thing. Now for the atheist who's like ra really rational, those are the only two options. It can't be both. That's violation of the law of non-contradiction. It can't be neither. It's the violation of the law of excluded middle. That's it. Something or no thing. All right. And by the way, Pat, I, I say no thing rather than nothing because uh -huh. some people will choose, will treat nothing like it's something. So right. no thing. So the universe had no cause. So I'm just asking, what do you think? And I'm waiting for them. Now they're stuck at this point because they don't want to say something because that would be something out of the material universe outside of it. Mm. And that means materialism is dead and it would have to be something pretty smart and pretty powerful and an agent of some sort to cause these things to start happening. And that sounds a lot like God and they don't want to go there. Wow. But what's the only other option based on the questions I've asked them and they've followed me right along. The only other option is to say that the universe came out of nothing for no reason with no cause. Guess what you call that? That's a miracle. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, it's worse than magic. I mean, when you think about it, it's, mm -hmm. it's like, but that's all they're left with. And so my question to them is, what's the odds on favorite? What's the most reason, reasonable option? Now, again, I'm not waiting for this 
atheist to drop to his knees and receive Christ. I'm trying to put a big stone in his shoe. Yeah. You think about that for a while. There you go. What your view requires you to do is to say something kind of crazy. My view is not crazy. Your view is crazy. Now, I don't always use that language, obviously, but it's implicit in the conversation. Now they're stuck. Okay. If, if he says nothing caused everything, I said, do you think that's the odds on favorite? Where is it that we see all kinds of things popping into existence out of nothing? Big things, you know? So that's an example. Now, notice something else I did, Pat, and this is very important to the street smarts approach, is that I was asking questions, of course, but notice I was using my questions to get the atheist to put the pieces, the stepping stones, right out there for us to, to move forward with. If I would have said, well, there's things exist, and then therefore, and things didn't always exist, and therefore they had to have a cause, you know, I'm just running through this cosmological argument at every step of the way, he could say, wait a minute, maybe they don't exist. Maybe we're just butterflies dreaming or something. Mm -hmm. And everything began to exist. No, maybe the universe is eternal. Some people believe that. What are you doing? Every time you make a statement, they disagree with you. Okay, this is going nowhere. Right. Instead of making statements, you ask the question. When you ask the question that has a common sense answer, they take that common sense piece of information, they put it on the table. And that's one of your stepping stones to your conclusion. If they put it there, it's a lot harder for them to pull it off the table. And so what you've done is you've enlisted your opponent, you're enlisted your opponent, the person who thinks differently than you, you've enlisted them as an ally in making your point. Okay, let me give you another example. And I just, this this one's not in the book. I was just thinking of this the other day. One of the complaints about the Bible is genocide. That's the charge, okay? I do deal with the issue of genocide in there, and I have a way of explaining that and dealing with it and giving dialogues and questions. But this particular response, I hadn't put in the book. I just was thinking about it. Hopefully, when people read Street Smarts and get Street Smarts and get Street Smart, they can start doing this on their own. They mm -hmm. can start thinking, they, they learn how this works. So a person says, says uh, there's genocide in the Bible. I can't believe in a God that would have genocide in the Bible. Mm -hmm. And so my first question though, remember the game plan, the very first one, gather information is what do you mean by that? So I'm going to ask him, what do you mean by genocide? You mean, you know, genocide when all these people are murdered all these murdered. So like, so I say, so when the Germans murdered all the Jews, that was genocide. Yes, of course. Okay. Let me ask you this question though. When the allied soldiers killed all the G Germans that That's were murdering good. all the Jews, was mm -hmm. that genocide? Now they, it's a yes or no answer. Okay. Now I hope the person's thinking clearly that that's not genocide. That's war. So in other words, it's a genocide is not just a bunch of people being killed, but it's a bunch of people being killed for the wrong reason. Mm -hmm. This is what I'll ask them. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's right. It's what the Allied soldiers did by killing Germans who are killing Jews was a good thing, not a bad thing. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Now, if they say they're both wrong, I'm going to say, you mean there's no difference between the Allied soldiers and Germans who are killing Jews? Now, they don't want to say that because there's obviously a moral difference. But in both cases, you have lots of bodies. Mm -hmm. One's genocide and one wasn't. So in other words, just having a lot of people killed doesn't make it a genocide. It's only a genocide if they're killed for the wrong reasons. Yeah, that's good. Okay, so that I just came up with that the other day. I chewing on this, and then I put it together in a little dialogue. Now, I, I, maybe I'll get 
get hit with that at the University of Kentucky or something. What am I trying to do here? I'm not trying to solve the whole problem. I'm trying to help them see that maybe in the case of the Bible, it's not a real genocide. Lots of people died under certain circumstances, but maybe the circumstances were justified. And this is what I go into detail on in the book itself because of the unbelievable immorality of those ancient Middle Eastern cultures, the Philistines, et cetera, et cetera, and child sacrifice, which was huge, the child sacrifice. So I asked people, I said, let me ask you, if there was a religious group that was down the way and you knew they were, and you discovered they were molesting children, sexually mm -hmm. molesting children, and then killing them, would that bother you? Oh, yes, of course. Do you think something should be done about it? Absolutely. What should be done? Those guys should be, and then, you know, justice, right? Right. Well, that's exactly what God did with the, the groups that lived there in Canaan and were displaced by the Jewish armies. So this is meant to put all of these things, help them to think this does, it isn't the way you're thinking about it when you just read a line or two. There's a whole bunch of other stuff that was going on. And incidentally, when the Jews did the same thing that the, the other nations did of that time, God treated them the same way. Mm -hmm. He brought other armies against them, like the Assyrians or the uh, Nebuchadnezzar and, and, and Babylonians. Babylonians, thank you. The same thing. He dispossessed them of the land and, and had them killed because what God was doing was not genocide. It was justice. Yeah. Big difference. That's okay, good. so there's the package there. But notice how I role played both sides. You know, I don't want to ask you the questions. You might not get the right answers. So I, I got it. <laughs> So I just wanted to add, I was joking with you a little bit about the role play, but if you and I were to role play it just directly, it's not clear where the conversation was would be going. And this is exactly what happens in a real conversation. I have model conversations with model questions that allow people to move through a variety of issues to help get the non-Christian thinking, but sometimes they're going to go in a different direction. And that's okay. These things are not always tidy because life is not tidy, okay? But what Street Smarts is meant to do is to give you training to get you more Street Smart so that when you're out there in that circumstance, you will have the skills to be able to maneuver more effectively. And it's not that hard. Yeah, You do the work, you understand how the game plan works. And I've had, th I mean, really hundreds and hundreds, I want to say thousands, and maybe it's been that many, but it's just been so many people that have told me that this kind of game plan used in this way has changed their lives mm -hmm. and changed their ability to engage in a relaxed, comfortable fashion and still be much more effective for Christ, even though they're not trying to pray with people to receive Jesus. Yes. You know, 2 Corinthians 10, 5 says we demolish arguments and every pretension that's set up against the knowledge of Christ, take everything captive in obedience to Christ. Sometimes... You need to demolish those ideologies, you know, as Paul says, that keep people from seriously considering the message of the gospel. And this is one, I think, a very effective but also gentle way of demolishing those strongholds that keep mm -hmm. people from and seriously considering the message of Christ. And in our culture today, often that's what you have to do. Right. You know, you have to take on those ideologies. You know, you talk to someone, you say, well, Darwin answered the God question. You know, well, did he really, you know, you're going to have to uh, demolish that stronghold of Darwinism before they'll seriously consider your message. Or like you said, well, the Gospels are all fiction, really, mm -hmm. and just kind of demolish that stronghold. So this is yeah. a... Yeah, 
if I could jump in, I'm thinking about the Darwin. I don't want to get too far away from that. But uh, if a person said Darwin demolished the God issue, I'm just going to ask him how. Yeah. Just one little question. How? Now, they've got to tell me. The fact is, Dar Darwin did not demolish the God right. issue. Mm -hmm. uh, if anything, if Darwinism succeeds the way the naturalists think, he demonstrated that natural development is not was that God is not necessary for the natural development of living things. But you got to start with living things for Darwinism to work. Right. So how do you get living things? And you got to start with stuff before you get dead stuff, before you get living stuff. So where did all the stuff come from? So there's all kinds of other elements that are involved pertaining to the question of God's existence that Darwinism doesn't speak to at all. It doesn't intend to. It doesn't know how to. It addresses a narrow slice of, of the of the world, the cosmos, as it were, aspect of it, but not the whole thing. So that's why if somebody says God demolished Darwin, I'm going to ask, I know he hasn't. So I'm just going to say, okay, tell tell me more. Uh, yeah, if Darwin demolished God. Mm -hmm. Well, then show me, how did Darwin demolish God? Now, I know he's not going to be able to answer that. Yeah. And so when a person makes a strong statement like that, and then you ask them, how does that work? That's a, what do you mean by that question? It's very simple. Notice crickets, right? Yeah. And it can be embarrassing for them, but I'm not trying to embarrass them. I'm just trying to hold their feet to the fire with the outlandish claim they just made with so much confidence. How does that get rid of God? I don't see that at all. Yeah. In fact, some people think that if Darwinism works, it only works because God designed the world in such a way that it would work that way. Yeah. And that's not my view, but it is some uh, a way that that people have argued. Incidentally, can I give you another example of how yeah, the street smarts sure. approach would work with atheism? Now, first, I have to give you the insight because remember the, spe the speed bumps, there's three speed bumps. The first speed bump is knowing what's wrong with the challenge. The second one is knowing the steps to show it's wrong. And the third, third speed bump is figuring out the questions. So I do all of that in street smarts for you to kind of get you up to speed on these issues. Now, so uh, with regards to atheism and the problem of evil, okay, specifically there, Atheists, of course, bring that up with regularity. It's probably the most popular argument against God and has been for ages, all right? And so if an atheist says to me, well, what about the problem of evil? I'm going to ask, what about it? Yes. The ball back in his court. Well, it's a problem for you, isn't it? Then I'm going to say, what's the problem? I want them to articulate it clearly. Now, it also buys me time, right? So I, if I need to think, but I, in this case, I know where I'm going with this. And then he says, oh, well, if God were powerful, he'd be able to get rid of evil. If he were good, he'd want to get rid of evil. And they're still evil. So therefore, God is either not powerful or not good or probably doesn't exist. That's a classic deductive argument against God based on the problem of evil. Now, th this argument doesn't go through. And I actually talk more about it, that in the story of reality. But in Street Smarts, I don't take on the big giant issue itself. I take a different tack. And what the tack that I take is I try to show the atheist that he has no right to raise this issue mm -hmm. uh, against the existence of God for a couple of reasons. But one avenue is the understanding that the problem of evil is not a Christian problem. It's not a theist's problem. It is a human problem because it doesn't matter who you are, where you live, or when you live. Everybody knows that something's wrong with the world. Mm -hmm. So whatever worldview you adopt, that's something your worldview is going to have to make sense out of if it's going to be a, something like a thoroughgoing explanation for reality. And so now with that in mind, that's going to inform my questions. 
All right. So, and I know where I'm going. I know in my mind, some of the steps, okay, here's what I'm going to say. Maybe you're right. Maybe there is no God. Problem of evil, I can understand why you'd reject God based on the problem of evil. But I have a question. Let's say God's gone. All those things that you just described, do those things still happen? Murder, rape, torture, genocide, whatever. Yeah, of course they happen. Are they still evil? Yes, of course they're evil. That's why I'm complaining. That's why I'm saying there's no God. Now, look at how, how energetically they put that piece on the table for me. Mm -hmm. Okay, fine. So even without God, there is still a problem of evil. So can you explain to me what your answer is, your explanation is for the problem of evil, given your naturalism, your materialism, the fact that there is nothing here but the material world, and that justifies your atheism. Okay, you're going to get crickets again, because they have, I promise you, 90 Nine percent of anybody you talk to has not ever thought about that problem. Right. Okay. They've never thought about it. And so they have helped themselves to the problem of evil against Christianity when it turns out to be a huge problem for them, too. Although Christianity has an advantage because the problem of evil is based on the idea that there are objective moral principles or moral rules, if you will speed limits in the universe that people break that we call evil. Okay. Now, where did those speed limits come from, so to speak? You know, where did those rules come from that are broken, that therefore causing the, the evil that we're complaining about? As a Christian, I can tell you, it came from God. The problem of evil fits in our worldview. It makes sense in our worldview. It's part of our story. And by the way, our story is not over yet. Our whole story is about the problem of evil. It makes perfect sense. Now, for you atheists, tell me, where do you get the rules that you think are violated, bringing evil in the world that makes you think there is no God. There is no answer for that. Oh, I know there's a couple of theoretical things. They don't work at all. Moral laws take a moral lawmaker, period, or else there's no obligation to keep those laws. Anyway, I go into a lot of detail on that. There, one rejoinder is evolution can explain that. Well, evolution doesn't do it at all. All evolution can do is give you relativistic morality, and that's not going to do for the problem of evil. But that's all in the book. I'm just kind of, you know, gaming these points a little bit here, showing you how this works out in a conversation with people. And again, notice each time when I ask my last question, and it's not meant to be a mic drop moment. I mean, that's not my project. We're not trying to draw blood, make people look ridiculous, but it amounts to that in a certain sense. It's like, oh, I don't know how to answer that. That's the atheist. Right. I never thought about that before. That's the atheist. Good. Okay. You don't have to answer it to me. You just think about it. You should be able to answer it for yourself. And if you can't answer it for yourself, then maybe you should be thinking about how good atheism is at explaining the way the world actually is. Because in the world, there is evil. Everybody knows that. Good luck. <laughs> you know, and once you get them to start asking questions or re-examining their beliefs, then you're taking them one step closer towards Christ or closer to the truth. Exactly. Ultimately is found in Christ. And so that's a great uh, strategy here. So let's go through your game plan. It was first you engage them by asking, uh, what do you mean by that? That's yeah, you're gathering information, oh. right? Yeah. Then the step two is how did you come to that conclusion? Really, how do they know it's true? What's the evidence? Uh, what's the basis for their beliefs? Correct. Three is finding flaws and weaknesses in their argument. And it's step three I want to talk about here. Sure. How do you get good at step three? To me, it seems like you need to know some apologetics. You kind of need to know a little bit of where they're arguing and where you want to go. Yes, you're right. That's true. You do need to know some of those things. Uh, it, 
in many cases, if you are just reflective about what's been said, you're going to see some problems. For example, somebody says, well, there is no truth. All right. And they're using that as a club to beat up on your claim that Christianity is true. Well, it can't be true if there is none of that truth stuff. So you're, the, the rug is pulled out from underneath the Christian. But a person who's not even, you know, hasn't had any training may realize, wait a minute, he says there is no truth, but he thinks that statement is true, which makes it self-defeating. Yeah. And so you might say, well, wait a minute, is that statement true, that there is no truth? Okay, that's a question, of course, but I'm just saying a reasonably observant Christian without any training can maybe see those kinds of flaws. Once again, we've run out of time. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers. Our goal is to bring you the love of Christ and to equip you in your faith to always be ready to give a response. If you would like to hold an apologetics conference or series of teachings at your facility, contact Pat by calling him in Hawaii. That number is 483-0586. Or you may email him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Be sure to browse through our listing of topics on our site. We have everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism. You will also find articles an additional audio for you to listen to or download. An additional location to find Pat's messages is on YouTube. Look up Evidence and Answers and hit the subscribe button. To keep quality broadcasts like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous financial support from you, our listeners. Donating is simple. Just log on at evidenceandanswers.org. Evidence and Answers is grateful for one of our sponsors, the Honolulu Christian Church. If you don't have a home church and are looking for a place to grow in your faith, check out the Honolulu Christian Church. For service times, log in at honoluluchristian.org. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zuccarello.